Okay, as I'm sure you guys have heard, today we have a forum. We have a few questions to start with. So the first question is, goes like this. If we are not saved by our works, then why are we judged by our works? So I think the person saying that if we're not, if we're saved by grace, then why do people say, uh, oh, you're doing this wrong, oh, you're doing this wrong, oh, you're doing this wrong? Mm -hmm. Is, I'm not sure who asked it, if that, if that's, if that's the, the question. Okay, well, actually, you know, when, when you hear questions like that, there's already in the, the question is incorrect. Because who said that we're judged by works? If, if you mean that people actually judge us and say, you know, things like, why do you do this or that, that's one thing. But when we read the scripture, we're comparing two different things. Salvation does come through God's grace. And that's in Ephesians chapter 2, very key passage. And this is the truth that we uh, hold on to. Chapter 2, verses 8, 9, 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. So the first part of the question is correct, so that no one may boast. And then the second part of the question said, why are we judged by works? If the person means why do we need to do anything at all, then the scripture says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So we're created to do good works. Whether you want or not, we will need to do something. And then how we are judged, that's a different thing. I don't find in the scripture that we're judged as Muslims say. We're judged uh, based on how many good works we did to be saved. But I find in the scripture that if a Christian is saved, he or she must be held accountable for what they do. And if they don't do good works, they don't bring good fruits. So we will depend on, you know, the, the, the good works that we do in Christ. I think there's two, there's two types of judgment. There's one judgment as in whether you're saved or not. If, if, if God is going to judge everybody. And if you've got Christ covering you, he took, he took the punishment or that, the result of that judgment on you. I think that's one form of judgment, in a sense. The other judgment, I don't know if you could call it a judgment, is you're already saved, but now you get rewards based on what you've done or haven't done. I think that's not a, a judgment of whether you're saved or not. Once you're saved, then there is a, you're going to get rewards for what you did or didn't do. Uh I guess I took the question a little bit different. Um, I, I believe personally in the Bible, all our actions have to do with works. Good, bad, or indifferent. Um, everyone in the Bible, when you're saved, you, you nahrada, reward. Um, how many times I've read, you know, a good verse I put down was uh, uh, Romans 2.6. God who will render to every man according to his deeds, according to his works. And uh, the question is asked right, but it's just misrepresented, I think. And it kind of confuses people. Um, the reason we're saved by grace is because no one's work is good enough to save them. If your work was good enough to save you, then Christ would have never had to die for you. We're judged by our works, good, bad, or indifferent. If you're a Christian, you're going to stand before God. He's going to ask you why you did what you did in your life, your motive, your heart, your ministry, everything. You're going to be judged for your works. 
And the problem is, we as humans, our works is not good enough. That is why we are saved by grace, because there's no other option. If we could be saved by our works, then someone would have been saved by now. For sure, like my mom or something like that, or Pastor Peter, for sure, you know. But they're not. It's not good enough. So I think the question is asked right, and uh, you just kind of, whoever rephrased it wrong. I think we're all judged by our works. We are going to be judged by works. It is about works, but we can't be saved by works because it's not good enough. Our works is not good enough. So that's why we need grace. That's why we need Christ. At least that's how I understood it. Maybe I misrepresented it or not. Okay. Um, next question. How long is it okay to date before getting engaged? So from like one day to how many years? I don't think you should be dating unless you're planning to get married. Okay, how long is it to be good it's to be as planning? Lo as long as it takes you to figure out whether you want to get married or not. What about two years? If that's how long out. it takes you and you're a little slow, that's okay. But I, the, the, I guess if you look at it a little bit different perspective, what's the purpose of dating? You can have several different purposes. You could be, you know, to be cool because everybody's got a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You need a girlfriend and a boyfriend. Um, you could date because you want to have fun. Or you could date to, because you want to get married. Um, there's a book I read. It's called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And I think it's a really, really good book in the sense that if you're ready to get married and you found someone who you may be interested in, go ahead and ask them out on a date. That is a good thing to do. You get to know them. You get to know them. Make up your mind based on whatever criteria you had or have, whether this person is marriage worthy, and then go for it. Um, I don't think that just kind of dating and maybe stumbling upon, maybe this is the person, maybe this is not the person, um, is a good way to do it. Because if you date just for fun or you're not really sure if you're going towards marriage, if that's not a purpose, um, what you're doing, or you're just kind of dating and maybe eventually something will happen. Um, I've heard that dating is kind of like a, it ends up being kind of like a Mercedes sign. It's got little three, th three little things. It'll either end up in marriage, it'll end up in sin, or it'll end up in a, in, in a breakup. And if marriage is not a goal, you're just, you're just asking for trouble. Like, there's, there's no other way around it. Um, you know, every person, it might seem fun at the time, but when you start getting married and you, you look at your wife, you look at your husband or the person you're going to marry, um, you want to disclose to them and you want to tell them everybody you've liked, you haven't liked, whether, what, where. And the more, the more things that are piled on there, it's just going to make it harder for you. Make it easier on yourself. I might add a little bit more, but at a different time. Did you read that book before or after you got married? Before. Okay, so I don't know the answer for that question, but um, what bothers me, bothers me on a personal level and what I'm also now is concerned as, as a father already. You know, I have two daughters. They're growing fast. And just in general, um, there's so much of gray boundaries between you know, dating, engagement, marriage, you know, all the, all the stuff, premarital stuff. And that's where 
in the gray areas, you will be tempted, and in the gray areas, there's a lot of sin. So, for example, some, I ask a guy, and, I, and, and he says, you know, we've been dating with this girl, and I'm not saying, you know, it's bad or good. I'm saying, okay, for how long? For two years. For two years, okay, so you're probably getting married. I'm not sure. Um, so are you serious about this relationship? Yes, I'm serious. Okay, so how serious are you? Well, I think in a couple of years I will do a you know, proposal. Like, okay, hold on. So that, that doesn't really fit the, 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 the biblical, biblical approach to the question. In all matters, you need to be transparent with the brother, with the sister. So if it's a brother and he's dating because he has like three options and he is like, you know, checking it out and all that and then formally maybe or maybe not he will make a proposal, that's a big problem. That kind of dating is sin. And it, before the engagement, it shouldn't be even a question. You need to make up your mind. And as soon as you make up your mind, then it's just a matter of calendar. You go to a pastor and he says, okay, the closest Saturday is this. Here's when you need to make it. If there are no other obstacles, зачем водить занос сестру или зачем сестре водить занос брата? Не должно быть вот такого. А уже вопрос того, как, как у кого там, сколько дейтинг. Ну, если ей, допустим, 16 лет, и, а ему 18 лет, ну, он уже может жениться, а ей еще нельзя даже легально. То в таких случаях должен быть, должен быть какой-то договор тоже. Если, допустим, человек серьезно намерен, но это еще рано. Поговорить с родителями, поговорить, объяснить. Может быть, это second question, родители тоже думают. Тебе еще мало лет, или у него еще нету даже чем жизнь содержать. Во всех случаях нужно, чтобы было четко и понятно. А если это кто-то два или три или четыре или пять лет, но за, за нос водит другого, а потом передумал, это просто грех. Грешить нельзя. Вот. Поэтому будьте очень осторожны. Даты мы вам не можем сказать. Есть случаи, когда нужно ждать и полгода, и, и, и год. Но должно быть четко. Как только ты понял, что ты любишь эту сестру или ты любишь этого брата, молись о том, чтобы Бог дал откровение. Сестра должна молиться, чтобы Бог дал откровение жениху, потому что он первый должен делать предложение, а не сестра. Но если что, то сестра должна быть тоже креатив. Если есть у вас вопросы, я могу подсказать, как наедине. Вот. Но предложение должен делать парень, а не, а не э, девчонка. Это тоже... Okay. Two minutes. Um, one fact I was reading and, and kind of read about this. Um, um, it's a secular study. Girls that are 13 years or older, if they're in a relationship four months or longer, 80% of them are sexually active. Active. And you can say whatever you want. We are not secular. We are not of the world, but we are flesh. And I don't care who you are and how you are. Me and Zoya, we're coming up four years in marriage. And uh, I'll never forget we were engaged. And I'm telling you, that temptation is real. I don't care how holy you are, how good, how much you're serving. When you are in love and, and you're going to be married and you see that down, down that tunnel, I don't care who you are, you're not going to be able to avoid that temptation. And it's interesting, like the older generation, they're against dating. You know, they don't understand what they're doing. But the majority of them got married faithfully and, and uh, purely. 
And it is a, it's, it's a shocking number how many young people I talk to, how many young couples I've had to deal with, me and Zoya, that were sexually active before they got married in the church because they were always hanging out, they were always dating, they were together all the time. You know, I'll never forget, I remember my mom, me and Zoya started talking, she's like, Ilya, uh, and my dad, they were both Proverbs. You can't put fire in a shirt and not get burnt. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm fine, I'm already 27, the fire's gone, you know? I'm mature and Christian. It's not, it's there. The longer you spend together with them, the, the higher chance you have of, of falling into sin before marriage. It's just a fact. You know, that, I guess just from personal experience. Okay. Thank you, brothers. Next question is, if I am talking to a Christian guy and we want to get married, but my parents don't approve, what should I do? And then one that's kind of along these lines is, do you guys believe God has one specific person that he has for you? Or do you just find what you like and go for it? I think both questions go hand in hand. And uh, I like how one author put it. Um, for your life, God has a direct will. And many times we mess up or we don't um, follow that will. So we have a plan B or plan C. God will always bless you sincerely. You know, if you look at Israel, when Israel was promised the land, the holy land, uh, land of milk and honey, if you look at the perspective when God promised them how huge it was, it was almost the whole Middle East, and they never conquered that. I think if you are talking to a Christian guy, I pray that he's a sincere guy or a girl, um, if it's God's will, your parents will approve. And, and take it by faith. The reason I say this, I'll never forget, and Zoe knows the story, uh, there was a girl that I liked before I knew Zoya existed. And I was so infatuated by her. I came, I'll never forget. I came up to her mom. I think her father passed away. I came up to her mom and I said, I want to marry your daughter. And I'm so thankful that she turned me down on behalf of her daughter. <laughs> you know? I thank God for that. And, and it worked out because now I'm married to Zoya. And I know that was God's will for me. I think if there's division with the parents... Uh, then th that should be a red flag, especially, especially if they're Christian parents because they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their kids more than themselves, at least from my experience with Christian parents. I think it's uh, really important to have that blessing. I think that's the only reason we have weddings is to get the blessing from the church and blessing from the parents. I don't know what else I wanted for my wedding day other than those two. Instagram pictures. Huh? Oh, pictures? Instagram pictures. Oh, I don't have Instagram. I would ask the parents why they don't approve. I think it'd be it'd be really smart sit down with 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 your dad, with your mom, and say, bring food, <laughs> bring food make sure they're happy, yeah. and say, let's work this through. Why do you not approve? Like, not a, not in a way of where you could make excuses and then counter them, but just why do they not approve? And that's I think that's a very legitimate question. I know people, and I know I know of people, especially guys, who come to the church, uh, get baptized, repent, do whatever, get married, and then they go back. And looking at it from, from kind of a um, bird's eye view, you, I don't know their heart, I don't know their motives, I don't know why they did what they did, or maybe it's just a coincidence, but just having the label a Christian guy or a Christian girl doesn't necessarily in of itself mean, um, I'm not going to say a lot, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean one thing or another. That's the first thing I'd say. 
Um, so I would ask and have your parents just maybe on a piece of paper write out why they think, what, what are their reasonings. Um, the second thing I would ask them is what would have to change or what would they want to see in this individual for them to approve and for them to bless? I think if you get those two questions down, that's a, a really good start. The question, is there a specific person for you? I do not think so. Because, because um, say there's a specific person for you, right? And by accident, they marry somebody else. Does that mean you're stuck without a soulmate for the rest of your life? I really hope not. That, that would be super unfortunate. And then you marry someone, and they're the wrong person. And, 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 they've, and then they're supposed to marry somebody else, but they married you. So they mess up that next piece of chain. And then we're all married to the wrong people. It's, 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 if that was true. If that was true. So I, I think that's, that's a bunch of baloney. Um, I think you, there are people who are more compatible and people who are less compatible. Um, I think once you make a choice and you, and you choose someone to marry, they become the right person. And you have to work with what you got, and may help you. May God help you with that. Okay, I'm gonna go to the next question. Is watching television series a sin? I want to hear what what these two have to say. I I, I want to say no, but then I have to, to add to that. But I want to hear your question first, answer first, because I may disagree with you. Personally, yes. Uh, and what I put next to mine is YouTube. Um, because I can start a really good godly sermon, and in 30 minutes I'm watching a fishing show. And, uh, uh, like, nothing bad, nothing sinful. You know, and the reason I do that is um, um, if you can put up Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Ephesians chapter 5, 15, and 16. I'm going to read them. Seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I've never met a Christian in my life who doesn't struggle with time management. Spending time with God and not spending time with God. I don't know how many times I have to hear from the most godly men and women I know. I don't spend enough time with the Lord. I don't spend enough time in prayer. I don't spend enough time with reading. Uh, I, I think these... Uh, shows and movies, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying uh, they're uh, leading you to sin, but I think they're just taking time away from what's really real and what we need to be doing more is spending time in fellowship and family and everything. And I love, I'll never, I'll never forget this cartoon. I'm, I've seen a guy sitting in front of, it's not a cartoon, it's one of those like Tipa uh, uh, in the newspaper cartoon. He's sitting in front of a TV and he's watching TV. He's like, man, my eyes hurt so bad. I need to turn this thing off and go to sleep. And then the next picture, he's on his phone like this in bed. You know, and we do that. We spend way too much time. These shows are designed to kill your time. And, and I think that's why it's, I consider it sin. Uh, personally, because for me, I can turn on a series of Florida fishing, whatever, and I can be on there for four hours. But for me to open the Bible and read for 40 minutes or pray for 30 minutes is a struggle and a battle. I will respectfully disagree with Ilya. Um, I don't think he's wrong entirely. Um, and I think he has a very good point. And I, I, I think what he said was really good. So I, I, this is, this is kind of what I, what I think. And, and uh, please don't, don't misunderstand me. So I grew up in a church. Before, before going to this church, we grew up in a church. We lived in Colorado. Um, that if you even had a TV at your house, 
like people would walk around you not even shake your hand like you were just anathema uh, you were you you were just you know uh, you were the untouchables just d don't talk to you walk around you you're a great great sinner um considering considering I guess the first step is that you are watching something that is edifying and it's not, it's not sinful and it doesn't lead you in the wrong direction. I guess that's kind of a, um, a given. I think watching something is not a sin as long as it's not done too much. I think if you're binge watching or if you're spending a lot of time watching something, you got to look at your life and you got to, like Ilya said, you're probably wasting your time. Um, you're not talking to other people. People who watch a lot of things, who, who are on their phones a lot, um, the interesting thing is they have a hard time talking to other people and communicating with other people. I find it very funny that there are people who can text you really, really well. They're like super good on their phones. They have these like long drawn out conversations they're like, you're talking to them, you're like, wow, these people are just, you know, they're so good at communicating and conversation. You try to talk to them in real life, and like, they, they can't put two sentences together. Um, I think as long as, you, if you're spending way too much time, um, you probably need to look over your life and go do something useful. Okay, next question. How to overcome temptation and live in freedom? Okay, let's read from the scripture. <clears throat> the scripture says in James chapter 1 that most of us have problems with temptations because we are being um, caught up with our own desires and our lust. In chapter 1 it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away, and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And the verse before this says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive this crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, how to overcome temptations, it depends on where, what is your personal, like the scripture says, your own lust, if it's something that has to do with uh, visible things, drugs, alcohol, things like that, then obviously you need certain direction, you need certain guidelines, you should avoid certain places, you should fellowship with Christians and so on. You, you, it's a must for you to have accountability partner. If it's something where you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with other things, and um, it's not necessarily a, a substance abuse or something like that, then uh, I just want to tell you that out of that temptation might come out good. So how to overcome it, understand first of all that it's not God's fault, it's not God's will for you to fail, it's just a temptation that if you trust the Lord, if you put your faith in Him, you will be stronger. You will be stronger. And another thing to understand is that you will never be able to overcome temptation in a sense that you will deal with it once and it's not going to bother you again. 
As soon as you believe that lie that, oh, I'm so strong, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to struggle with drugs or I'm not going to struggle with pornography. As soon as you're that confident, you may, may fall again. So understand that God gives you help. Understand that you will always need Him and He will help you to overcome it. I, I don't have, uh, you know, a specific answer for every single situation. It's different. Uh, one verse, please, everyone write it down. If you guys can put it up for me, it's John 8, 36. Um, it's one of my favorite verses. It's very popular. I just, to me, it's personal. If the Son of, therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Uh, you cannot overcome sin. It is impossible for you to overcome sin. If Christ doesn't free you, if God doesn't free you, then you will not be free of that sin. Uh, personally, I'll tell you right now, uh, Everyone has a different stage and a different season how they overcame sin. I believe every person has a certain sin that they'll struggle with for the rest of their life. Uh, and the only way with victory with that is through Christ. Um, and I'll tell you, for me, personally, um, the way I overcame sin or the, way, the first step that in my life where I had victory over sin, sincerely had victory over sin, was when I started hating that sin with a passion. And then I sincerely started asking God to get rid of it in my life. Until you hate that sin, it will never leave. And I'll give you a good example. I, I've seen this before. I knew a lot of people who used to smoke pot. You know, I grew up, in, I went to college. I was with the secular world. And a lot of them grew up in the church. And uh, they stopped smoking pot. But to this day, they're defending it. And they're saying it's for health reasons. It's not bad. And then you always hear about them falling back into that sin and struggling with that sin. It's because they don't really hate it, you know. It's, it's the alcohol theory. I think alcohol is a sin, but I think it's okay. It doesn't work like that. Either you hate it or you don't. God hates sin. So if it's sin to you, you have to hate it also. If you don't, you're not going to have victory over it, personally. I think that's one of the first steps. If you're personally struggling with something, there has to be a hate for that. And then, and then that's when you start asking God for help, for victory from that sin. So I think a question that I would kind of uh, maybe connect to this question is, is our life predestined, so to say, and we don't really have a choice even though we th think we have a choice? Or do we actually write our own life? I'll do 30 seconds to this. Uh, it's not that it's predestined because of us, it's because of who God is. You guys have to understand when, when this is written, you have to understand the character and who the Godhead is, okay? Let me give you an example. If God was wearing a watch on his wrist, it wouldn't move because he's outside of time. So take this illustration. Uh, this is a bubble. My Bible's a bubble. That's eternity. God is outside of that and he sees all of eternity before him. He knows what's going to happen. He sees it all, but he's outside of that. And he lets it happen. And as far as free will and predestination, uh, um, personally, I believe in free will. Biblically, I can prove that, but you can also prove both sides on that. And the reason I fall towards free will is because I think that's the biggest uh, continuing act of God's love towards us. That's why we have evil people. That's why we have Stalin and Hitler and Holocaust is because God is hands off. Think about that. Okay, me and Zoya, I love her. We have a wonderful relationship. It is a great relationship. For us, I'm going to look at her and say, for me not to ruin this relationship so there's no adultery, no arguing, I'm going to take her, I'm going to put her in her closet and lock the door. So it never ruins. Is that love? No. 
Love is, is trusting, is, is hands off, is letting it go. And, and, and I think that's a huge act of God's love towards us is him hands off of us. And him loving us and, and, and being patient with us. Because I don't know how many times in my life I look back, I'm like, why didn't you strike me with lightning and just burn me up and kill me? I was deserving of it thousands of times. But by God's grace and mercy, I'm still alive and sitting before you. You know, I, 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 I believe in that. Okay. If a genuinely born-again Christian falls away from faith and dies in their sins, will they still go to heaven? I think the, 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 I might not answer the question. I'll just give enough of an introduction for Alex to think of what he wants to say. Um, I think I think that the most miserable person is a Christian who is not in fellowship with God and who is not a good connection with God. I think if you're a fallen away Christian and that doesn't bother you, you sleep well at night, um, your conscience is not talking to you, you're probably not a born-again Christian. Yeah, I'd question your salvation. If, if you are falling away, but your conscience is talking to you, you don't find peace within your heart. Um, we can't build too much from parables, but Luke 15, the, the parable of the um, prodigal son. When you fall away, I think um, every Christian, within, within them, there is a new identity that is born. And that, that, that new person seeks fellowship with God. And when that new identity, that new person doesn't have that fellowship with God, when that connection is broken, you feel bad, you feel miserable, you feel like something's pulling you back. And I think even people who fall away, there is something in them, if they're, if, if they're truly born again, there is something that pulls them towards God. And you can be fallen away, but, but, but you're pulled towards God, and eventually that, that's, that's where your desire is and that's where your heart is. I mean... You might have a lot of desires. You might be in sin, but but you're looking for God. You you want God, and I think if if you if you're that person and you are a child of God, um, I guess what would the, the question was: Will, will so you the, end up in heaven? I think yes, you will. But 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 if if there is nothing in you that pulls you towards God, um, we have a problem. Okay, uh, and also maybe in combination to this question is, how do you know you are born again Christian? Well, uh, there's multiple signs. Uh, personally, there's in my life, I, I always try to use reference in my life because that's my best reference, I guess. Um, personally, there's a lot. You really touched one, uh, and that's conviction of sin. Um, if you guys are in openly sinning life right now, um, if you're uh, with living in some kind of sin, some immorality, some gossip, some something that you, you guys know what sin is. Everyone knows what sin is. I've never met a drug addict in my life who didn't know that drugs are bad. If you are living in sin right now and it does not bug you, it does not bother you, then I, I question your salvation today. I question that you're even born again. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when you are born again, you are automatically called a daughter or a son of God, a child of God. And let me tell you something. When you become a child of God, God pays attention to you. He really, truly does. You know, we, we went to a, like a Tipa pumpkin patch thing this past weekend. Yeah. And, and you know, I remember, no, I won't forget, like, there's a big, huge play place for all the kids. And my daughter is almost three years old. She's playing. And there's hundreds of little kids. And I'll be honest with you, I could care less about the other kids. 
They could be chewing each other's legs. I could care less. I care about one thing. That's my daughter. How she's acting, how she's interacting with others, what she's doing, where she's going because she's my daughter. When you become a child of God and you're living in sin, I can assure you because of the faithful stuff of what the Bible says that God's not going to let that fly. You will get punished. He will pester you until he will bother you. The Holy Spirit will convict you. You will not be a happy camper. You cannot be a born-again Christian and live openly in sin. It doesn't work that way. God will not allow that because you're his son and daughter. It doesn't work like that. And as far as that question, uh, in short terms, yes, you will be saved. And, uh, you know, I, I could sit here and argue a hundred verses about that. But the theory, the million-dollar question I ask is, uh, is speeding a sin, personally? I think it is. So if you're going 85 miles an hour after church on I-5 and you crash and you die, do you go to heaven or hell if you're born again? And if you're going to heaven, then where do you draw the line? Which sin does qualifies you for heaven and which one doesn't? Do you see? That's the problem. Some people say yes, some people say no. And then I'm saying, well, what if you're smoking a cigarette? Well, no, because it's a cigarette. Where do you draw the line of what sin qualifies you to heaven and what doesn't? Because last time I read, all sin is the same before God. Um, I'm not, this, is a, this is a more complex. I'm just trying to shorten up as much as I can. Can I ask you a question too? Because we ask a lot. And um, what if you hear a prophecy, maybe to yourself or to someone, and God says that you have no salvation, you're going to die and go to hell? What, what would you recommend for that kind of person? That, that's a question for, for everyone. If you hear a prophecy, if there is such a prophecy that said God that you unexpectedly die and go to hell. Что делать в таком случае? Бог сказал через настоящего пророка. Пожалуйста, да, скажи. Да. Спасибо. Я скажу в микрофон то, что ты говоришь. Very, to shorten this. So Jonah, and God told through Jonah to the people of Nineveh, you are going to die in 40 days, but they changed their ways. Да? Is that your point? Okay. Кто-то еще сказал. Просто это важный вопрос. То мы задаем его как вроде это теоретически, а вот если реально. Да. Вот смотрите, что Библия говорит. Я вчера читал это из Писания, и вот мне это запало такое. When I say... To the righteous, he will surely live. Prophecy, and a righteous person gets a word from God, you will surely live. And he is so trust in his righteousness that he commits iniquity, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But in that same iniquity of his, just one iniquity, which he has committed, he will die. But when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, God says, I will say, you will surely die. Here's the prophecy, for sure. And that person, instead of saying, okay, then let me live last days of my life and surely die, the Lord says, right? God wrote my days. No. And he turns from his sin and practices, and practices justice and righteousness. None of his sins that he has committed will be remembered against him. He has practiced justice and righteousness. He shall surely live. So the point is short. If it's a truly born Christian person, God will look at the motives of the heart. 
And you can look at the life of a righteous person and say, oh, look, he lived the whole life, but God knows the motives and what was the last motive of his heart. And if he, if he trusts in Lord Jesus, he will go to, to heaven. We, we, can, we don't know our days. We can die and the circumstances seemingly were good. And like Ilya gave an example, you know, you can commit a sin by speeding, right? That's technically, yes. So motives of the heart are truly what matters. In Philippians 2.12, it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does this mean practically? Uh, Philippians 2.12. What, what does it mean? Yes, what does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Yeah, I know that passage. So, <clears throat> basically... The scripture, that's another scripture that supports the thought or teaching that we're saved by the grace, but we need to make sure that we do works that are worthy of our calling. On the practical side, I pray every day that God will open my eyes on my own life where I need to be changed, where I need to be uh, repenting. That's what we do. We teach our kids, right? We go to bed. We say, Lord, check me. We're checking ourselves. We want to make sure that we are clean and that we are holy or separated from iniquity. Uh, you know, as much as we know. That's... Is that practical? Okay. Praying and, and checking your life against the, the yeah. truth of the Lord? I don't know what's more practical. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I think um, fear and trembling, uh, there's different translations in that, but if you, if you jump back uh, one, one book behind it and you jump to Ephesians 6, 5, I'm going to read it real quick. Servants, be obedient to them that your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart unto Christ. I think what it means uh, personally, just kind of on the spot, I think it's the type of reverence that you have for Christ in your life. You know, today a lot of Christians, uh, I don't want to say Christians, I call them finger Christians, uh, they take the salvation for granted. Oh, I'm saved, but they live a life that's reckless. That is not according to Scripture. That is not according to what God has set. You know, I think a lot of people take the grace factor a little bit more for granted. I know what Jesus Christ paid for me, and I don't take it for granted. You know, that's why I want to serve. That's why I'm active in church. That's why I want to be part of the body of Christ. Not because I get something out of it. Not because I get paid for it. Not because I get more respect out of it. Because I know the debt and the price that Christ paid for me. That's literally why I serve, personally. You know, and, and I take that, uh, take that reverently. And I think what it means by working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you have to understand what that salvation was, what it cost to, for your salvation. And if you see people who sincerely come to Christ, uh, they don't live they, like their old life not because it's not pleasing to God, because they know who Christ is and what he paid for them. And they know the price. And I think that changes people's hearts, and I think that's the main factor of how people come to Christ, is uh, understanding that they're a sinner and that what was paid for them. So, uh, from my understanding. Okay. Is it okay for a Christian to carry a weapon for personal protection. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I used to have a lot of guns. A lot of guns. I lived in Montana. I was a big hunter. If people who know me personally uh, always have either deer meat or elk meat or some kind of wild animal in my freezer. 
Uh, right now, I have zero guns, no guns in the house. Uh, two reasons. My wife asked me not to, and two, I don't need them. Uh, here's why I say that. If someone robs my house, what do you have that's so worth it for you to fight over? Oh, well, no one's going to come and steal my wife. Usually they come for jewelry and money and gold. Sincerely. No one's going to break into your house to steal your kids, your, your wife, your, 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 your stuff that actually is worth something. If they rob, rob me and take my laptop and TV, let them have it. I'll give it to them for the sake of protection of my family. Uh, personally, it was just kind of my own revelation. I don't think I need to kill anyone over electronic. In two years, it's going to be worth nothing anyways. If you get robbed... Give it to them and bless them. Like, I'm, I'm not saying, uh, God forbid anyone get robbed, but I'm just saying, like, don't fight over that. What are you fighting over? What are you protecting sincerely? You know, and I know there's incidents where people rob and kill everyone, but I, I'm trying to trust in God, in God. I'm sincerely trying to. I think the question was for personal protection. Yeah, that's what I'm covering. What are we protecting from, I guess? People like that trying to attack you, for example. I'm, I'm a little bit, I guess I'll, I'll go, go uh, slightly from a different angle, but cover some of the same points. Um, while I agree with Ilya, I also disagree with him. I think he makes really good points, really smart guy. I want to come from a different perspective. Um, on one hand, yes, weapons are not necessary, and if you don't have them, that's okay. On the other hand, um, if you read the book, I think of the book of... Um, Book of Maccabees. There's a couple stories in there which are very interesting. And one of the stories in there is that a group of people, Jews, fought against the Romans and the Greeks and whoever, whoever was around them. But they would not initially fight on the Sabbath, on, on a Saturday. So they were attacked on the Saturday. They didn't fight back. They, they were killed. They did that to a certain point until they figured out that we need, we need to fight back. Um, from a, I guess from, from various perspectives you can look at it, Texas, take, take Texas for example, a couple of weeks, couple of weeks, probably a couple of months ago now. Um, six months ago. Somebody walks into a church, shoots a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people die and they leave. Um, I do believe in prayer. I think we need to pray for our safety. I think that we need to trust God. But with that, with that, if someone was to actively get a weapon, whatnot, to protect themselves, to protect their family, to protect their church, um, I don't see that as something that's sinful or something that's wrong. Looking at the scripture, I don't see anywhere where we're called to violence and including, you know, violent methods of protection. Uh, as a school principal, as a church leader, as a father in my house, I do take all kinds of precautions, but personal opinion, these are questions where you ask for experience and in summary, based on the Bible, I don't see a place where we would be justified or encouraged to prepare weapon as a method of protection. So if you find that in the Bible, try to convince me 
but I would not recommend that. That being said, I'm not against guns for recreational type of hunting. But if you have six Kalashnikovs in your house, I question your hunting. We're wishing for people to break into your house. Somebody please break in. Uh, well, I, to add to that, I find it interesting that our fathers, a lot of them, suffered and were persecuted because they were unwilling to kill people and take up the gun. That's one thing. And another interesting point that Jesus was probably the biggest pacifist in approach to weapons, but Christians tend to be the most pro-gun people. So think about that. that I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, no, I want to rebuttal you. Christ used the whip twice, and he told Peter to grab a sword. Uh, as far as weapons, guys, you have to understand. Okay, let me give you an example. Uh, raise your hand if you're okay with weapons to protect yourself. Raise your hand if you have your hunter safety courses and you've taken gun safety classes. See? That's the problem. A lot of these people who get into this stuff don't have a clue what they're doing. You know, I met guys who have AK-47s. They don't know how to load the gun. You know, when you go into hunting, by state law, you have to take hunters and safety courses. They teach you how to use your gun, how to load it, how to hold it, how to, how to unload it, how to properly use it. And that's the problem, I, I think, with Slavic people. I call it the boating mentality. The guy makes a lot of money, he's a truck driver, he buys a boat, doesn't get a license, crashes it. And I've seen it happen. It'd be very unfortunate to come to a funeral because a man bought a house, a gun to protect himself, and he shoots someone and his family. It'd be very unfortunate. So that, that's why I'm against that. Okay. What should a Christian do if he or she is struggling with doubts? In doubts, like in faith. Is it in faith or just anxiety? In, in faith. If a person has a lot of doubts. Oh, if it's a lot of doubts, that's a problem. But um, questions, questions are actually good. Question, ask questions. Don't be afraid. If you have questions, hard questions that nobody can answer. Because if you have questions, that means that you are not indifferent. You're growing. People who stopped having questions, they are not growing spiritually. They are not developing. They are not really moving in life okay so um, questions okay doubts where you at the place where you doubt God's mercy God's love God's existence things like that that's obviously arrows of the devil we read about that in visions and other places that we need to have the shield of faith and um, I believe that if you have doubts you will probably need more time to spend with uh, Christians who can pray with you, who can talk with you and not just give you a blanket answers like just believe that God is, okay? And there's lots of resources online too where you can also read, you can, um, you know, find answers based on Bible. So on one hand, it's okay to have questions through the life. On the other hand, um, if it's too much and if it shakes your hand, uh, faith, and you do not pray, you do not uh, go to church, you do not uh, have fellowship with others, that's a problem. You need help uh, in prayer, you need help from, from others, from church. Okay. Uh, just to encourage you, um, I'll tell you personally, a lot of times in my life I had doubt, and, and uh, this is biblical, scriptural. If you are sincerely having doubt and you have sincerely questions, God will always answer, always, 100%. Scripture says, for even when we are not faithful, he is faithful. 
If you are sincerely asking, you're having doubts, take this as a prophecy. I'm no, I'm no prophet that God will answer you because if it's sincere, he will never not answer. 100% of the time, he will give you an answer and build that faith. Another question. How much is too much with jewelry? Bracelets, necklaces, rings, earrings, nose rings, lip rings, etc. Working in dentistry, I don't recommend lip rings or, or uh, tongue rings. It'll like mess up your gums and your teeth. I've seen it so many times. People bite on them. Crack teeth all the time. A recession for sure. Just 100%. Um, that said, that said. We got those two down. Um, I, I just want to say that I, um, I'm really happy that we can be up here answering questions even if we don't disagree. Um, some of the things that I say, I may be wrong in the sense of the, that, I, and, I'm, and I'm glad that we can get together and I love Alex and I love Ilya, even if there are some things that we may not, not see eye to eye on. Um, as long as we see eye to eye on the main issues on Jesus Christ and what he did for us in salvation, the other things we can figure out with, 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 with time and with prayer. Um, as, far as, as, far as, as far as makeup goes, jewelry goes, I think if it distracts from who you are, um, that's too far. That's too far. So my personal thing, and, and I guess what I'm going to be teaching, and the way I see it with, with, with my wife, with my daughter, is if you look at somebody and you can tell they have makeup on and it just, it's in your eyes and that's the only thing that you see, that's a little too far. If it's something that's, that you put on but it's, um, it's not the first thing that, that catches you, catches your eye, I think that that's fine. Um, some people dye their hair, right? Um, I think if you're doing it in a way where it's unnatural, you're probably gone too far. Um, some people, like myself, at my age, I have, I have some white hairs here. I've got some white hairs here. Um, I don't color them in, but I think if someone was to color, color them in, there, there would be no sin in that. As long as it's within natural, good. Unnatural, probably pushing it. Uh, I don't think jewelry is the, uh, the topic itself. Personally, I think it's the whole heart of modesty. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, sister walks in, she's wearing a skirt, no makeup, no jewelry, and she's wearing a head covering. And she has a $5,000 hand designer purse by a gay designer. Is that okay? You know? And, and I'll tell you personally, at Crossroad Church, where we're at, uh, if you are in ministry there, especially for the sisters, you have to sign a modesty clause. You have to sit down, there's a course that you have to take, and there's a modesty clause. And you should see some of the stuff they cover. You guys think we're pretty liberal. You, sh you should see some of these sisters who have to come to the pastor's meetings. We, we think modesty is from the heart. It's a whole thing. It's not just jewelry. It's not makeup. It's not hair. It's the whole package. And the reason we lean towards the sisters is because no one, walks at a man, no one looks at a man in his purse. No one looks at a man in his jewelry. Unfortunately, that's how society is and how the world is, how scripture is. No one looked at Abraham and said, man, he's beautiful. But twice he had to lie about his wife because she was beautiful. You know, so it's just, that's how it is. It's the culture. I think modesty is more of the whole picture. As far as uh, jewelry, uh, I think it goes by the church. What your church sets, that needs to be your standard. And if you're going against that, then, then you got bigger problems.
And again, sisters, I use you all the time. My understanding, knowing Pastor Peter, knowing the pastors here, sisters wear skirts in this building. I'm not against skirts. In our church, sisters come with pants. With modest pants, all right? There's a whole different law. But let me give you an example. If you come into this church wearing pants, uh, and realistically, pants is, a, I call it the whole of the male. It's just spiritual change. It's not a big, that big of a deal. If you can't listen to something so little like that, why do you think you're going to listen to your husband when you have issues? Why do you think you're going to submit to something that you, when you really have to submit? If you can't take care of the little things like that. I think modesty goes to what the pastors teach. If Pastor Peter is teaching something, I would listen to it. You know, if you want scripture, I have plenty of scripture, but I think Alex has, wants to add to that. I will read from the scripture. I do agree that uh, the main issue is modesty, and God uh, really pays attention to the motives of our heart and uh, the question of salvation and our daily life. Uh, but also to answer the question, how much is too much, um, is hard because things are really relevant depending on the culture, depending on the situation, and even time. Even here, when we watch, look at the church albums, I look at the first church album, and it's funny because you know things that were actually considered to be cool, you know, prichoski, cholki, tam, da. So at the at that time, it was probably brothers would say, you know, like, don't do that prichoska. At this time, people would say, I don't want to do that prichoska because it's crazy. So it's not about how much or, you know, in certain things, like if you go to back to Ukraine, certain decorations, jewelry and stuff, they are not even cool. You know, missionaries, when they go to the Ukraine, they say, okay, там наоборот одеваются по-другому люди, тут по-другому приезжают, вот, Те, кто приезжают, свежие, приезжают модные, но смотрят, что здесь оно вообще не, не модное, и nobody cares about that. So уже видно разницу, да? So how much, too much, это тяжело. Но вот именно как написано в Писании, this is eternal standard, Peter, chapter 3, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands. It's about wives, we understand, but the, the, the point here, Ilya was leading it up to you know, the, the family life, and, and we understand that today we're single, tomorrow married, and so on. And uh, your adornment must not be external. So braiding uh, the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, by the way, you know, are we arguing about putting on dresses or not? It's like, uh, you know, you have to put on dresses, right? You can't live without that. Uh, like jewelry is optional, dresses are not, right? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's all in one list. So, um, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. So the, the main thing with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Uh, guidelines and boundaries are useful. They exist in any workplace. And uh, it's, they are just different in the church. We have a clear teaching, you know, that jewelry should not be worn to the services. Um, we uh, tend to focus more on the, not on the outward, on external, but on the internal uh, hidden person of the heart, both for guys and for, for ladies. So let's stick to that. Okay. And the next question, how can we be assured that we are hearing God's voice? What has been uh, your experience with that? 
I'll kind of add on to that. Some people say like, oh, God, God told me this. God told me this. How, well, did, did he? Did he tell him that? Or they just thought, you know, I think the, the number one assurance is the fellowship of believers, why we gather. I'll tell you right now, if you give me a Bible, five markers, like highlighters, and you put me in a cave in six months, I'll come out a crazy man. I don't know what I'll be believing. Uh, I don't know how many times I think I figure out it's God's voice, and I'm talking about in a banya and fellowship with friends and brothers, and they're like, no, Ilya, that's not God's voice. <laughs> you know, that's your voice. I think that's one big reason why we surround ourselves with godly men and women is because uh, it helps us, it builds us up. God built us for that fellowship, and I think he uses humans to reprove, uh, reprove ourselves or our thoughts. I think confirming what you think, the way I looked at the question is, you think God opened up a revelation to you, and uh, you want to know if it's from God or not. I think it really comes from revelation of other human beings, of other Christians, not human beings, true Christians. Um, if you are living right now in your life and you're doing whatever you want and people are telling you, pastors are telling you, uh, you're wrong, uh, then you need to really examine yourself. And I do that because I'll preach and some guy will come up to me and he will lay it on me. He'll rebuke me. I'm preaching from the devil. I've heard that stuff from me. But I don't take it for granted until Alex comes up to me or Dennis or Pastor Peter or even Solv or Lukianov, someone that I know is a man of God. If they come up to me and they tell me, Ilya, you need to stop, then I will, because I take those people seriously. I don't know if that helps or not. And the other thing is, do you have peace about it or not? Some things, they, they seem just very logical, the right thing to do, but if you do it or you're doing it or you're going to do it and you don't have a peace about it, then you're probably going the wrong way. I would um, make a dis distinction between uh, important questions and less important questions because you're probably not really arguing whether, you know, let's say, you know, adultery is sin or not. I hear the voice. That's not the question, right? We're, we, we know that the questions that are described or answered in the Bible, those are easier. We always have to compare it to the Scripture. You're probably asking about things like, should I marry this person or not? Should I be at this work or not? Should I go on a mission trip or not? Should I buy this car or that car? Should I spend, you know, $1,000? So questions like that. And for those questions, obviously what Ilya said is important. Because if it's a marriage, for example, there was a question about parents. Maybe God is speaking to you and, and just warning you, don't get married yet. Or if it's a work or if it's something else. I'll tell you honestly that... Uh, even before preaching in the church, I actually most of the time talk with my wife and tell you what I'm going to preach about. And sometimes it's just, I mean, I don't want to say crazy, but it's, she's like, why? It doesn't make sense. She's like, oh, you don't preach about that. I'm like, come on, the, my sermon is ready. But then I realized uh, over the time, I realized that if my own wife doesn't understand my sermon, people will not. So why should I argue? Maybe I should just listen as to the word of the Lord. So it does help to get counsel of the people on the secondary things that are not so clear, you know, where you have to make a choice. Because if you ask me, you know, about whether you want to, uh, let's say you need to have a surgery, right? Are you going to listen to the voices or are you going to go to uh, check with the doctor, maybe get second opinion, right? So if we, if we think about it, you know, if I want to get married, for example, or if I want to choose a, a career, I'm probably going to go 
pray, but I will also go and consult with people and say, hey, how would you do this or how would you start the business or things like that. Does that make sense? So depends on, on the question too, what you're deciding in your life. Uh, I'm just going to add a, a little thing here, uh, and I think we're going to wrap up. Uh, we had somebody tell our pastor that God told me this and this and this, and as a sign, it's going to snow tomorrow. And then pastor came up to that person and said, we're the, like the next day or the day after, I don't see any snow. You know, and I think, uh, I think it's, we need to be careful about that. I like how one preacher said that. Uh, I don't remember, but he listed like few things that if God doesn't speak to you through his word, if God doesn't speak to you through other people, don't expect God to speak to you directly. And I think that could be a good standard for us and, uh, you know, just be, kind of be careful with that. Can you do the last question? Hmm? Can you do the last question? I want How do you practically deal with anxiety? Um, depends on the source of anxiety, but um, one of the things you should do is make sure you're taking all your vitamins and minerals. I think sometimes people's, and you're getting enough sleep. I think sometimes when you're not getting enough sleep, you don't have enough of the vitamins that you need. Your body, instead of re relaxing the way it should and instead of functioning the way it should, it's, it's in overdrive mode. I guess that's the first thing. Um, second thing is write things down. I think a lot of times we have a lot going on in our head and we just keep replaying it and replaying it and it just keeps going over and over and over again. And it just seems so big and there, there, there seems that there's so many things going on. We're, we're all over the place. I think if you write it down and you say, okay, what am I worried about? What's, you know, what am I thinking about it? Sit, sit down, organize it, write, write it out. I think it'll make a lot more sense in your head and you might, might stop being worried about it. Um, and the third thing, the third thing, the, the Bible verse that I go to is 1 Peter 5, 7, and it says, cast all your care upon him, for he careth about you. I think that's, that's a very important verse. My grandma, my grandma, um, when she was younger, at the time she had you know, four, five, six kids, my grandpa, he was in a condition where he was near death. And she came home and she started crying. You know, she just, small kids, and she didn't know what to do. And then this thought came to her and said, you know, here I am and I'm crying and I'm just kind of all over the place. What is this going to do? This is not going to help me. This is not going to help feed my kids. This is not going to make my husband feel better. It's worry, but it's not worry to, you know, it's, it's useless worry. So I'm going to get up. And I'm going to do what I have to do to get where I need to get. I think worry was given to us to kind of motivate, motivate us to, to, to do something. Uh, a small amount of worry or anxiety is, I think, healthy. Just a small, you know, I'm worried that if I don't go to work, I won't get a paycheck. I get up and I go to work. I'm worried that if, you know, if, if I speed, I'm going to get into a car crash. I'm going to get stopped and get a ticket. That's healthy, but if you take it too far, you have to, and it's especially if it's anxiety and there's not like a like a reason. Um, figure out that your, your worry and anxiety by itself, it's not going to lead you anywhere healthy. And by you worrying, you're not going to change anything. And 
at that time, you just have to come to God and say, God, I trust you with everything that's going on. My worry is not going to change anything. And I know that ultimately you're in control and you have the last say. And I'm going to trust that and I'm going to stand on that. Just to add 30 seconds, for me, anxiety is uh, things that are out of my control that I can't, uh, that I don't have control. Let me paint you a picture. Um, I got to get up for work in an hour. I hear Luca crying. I go up there and she has 105 fever. So I got to stay up with her. I don't get any sleep. And do I go to work? Do I not go to work? What do I do? You know, and, and, and that's real. That's what happens. You know, and I'll tell you personally, for me, um, the only thing that has ever helped me with any of my anxiety is uh, uh, I learned to spend time with God. You know, don't be that Christian that you fall on your knees because you need something or because you need to fall on your knees. Uh, teach yourself and train yourself to be in fellowship with God where you know you can go into a room for 30 minutes, an hour, and be in fellowship and prayer and reading and just in fellowship with him. If you teach yourself that, I can assure you you're not going to have as much gray hair as your average Christian. Uh, I think that really does help because for me, uh, in my worst times I've ever had where I knew I couldn't do anything and I knew if God didn't do something, I'm, I'm in trouble. The only peace that I've ever got was when I was in fellowship with him. Just for me.